This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Everything Went Black. My good friend Graham Brooks joins us. Graham plays in Barishi, a band that we toured with a few years ago, and we had a blast. And uh, Graham and I actually appear on the cable record "Take the Stairs to Hell," which came out back in 2019. And uh, he's an incredible musician, a good guy, and we had a lot of fun catching up before we get going i want to shout every, everyone out the my fellow four horsemen of the apocalypse and that that um group has actually expanded so we have brandon legion bringing us horror wolf 666 horror podcast brandon brings us luminaries and newcomers in the um horror field on tuesday Jackie Smith's Into the Necrosphere, which I 100% state with full confidence is the best extreme music podcast out today. Wednesday, of course, is Everything Went Black Day. Thursday, I return for Necro Thursday with the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast, a show that I co-host with Jeff Kashid and Mike Scandato. Sunday, my good friend Carl Hikara comes at you with sold knocks. And um, I've actually appeared, actually all of us at one point have appeared on Carl's show. I've had a couple of uh, appearances. Uh, we have this kind of ongoing thing where we discuss uh, weird fiction and cosmic horror, dark fantasy, sword and sorcery, that kind of stuff. But Carl primarily deals with us you know, topics regarding the esoteric and, you know, stuff like that. Before we get going, I'd like to thank everyone out there who has continued supporting the Patreon. And, um, yeah, it's it's been really cool. For as little as $1 a month, you can join the Patreon, support the show, and you get access to all kinds of bonus content. For $5, you get early access to the regular stream and uh also the bonus content for twenty dollars that is the special sponsor edition of the uh patreon and you uh, you get a custom ad read for your business your band 
your project, whatever you want. And you could do it for one month. You could do it for all eternity into oblivion if you so choose. But it's up to you. You can do it anytime. Please follow us on social media. And, uh, you know, we're on Instagram. I'm on Instagram by my, you know, as myself. There's Facebook. There's all that sort of stuff. Speaking of Patreon, I'd like to thank brand new Patreon member Dave coming at us from London. Dave, thank you very much. You're much appreciated. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to this coming year and a lot of cool stuff. Well, dude, it's uh, I'm glad we're in touch, man. It's um, it's been a while since you and I actually spoke. We've been texting and using various social media to communicate, but uh, it's good good hearing from you. Yeah, right back at you, man. It's been it's been too long. You know, I've been listening to the last uh, the last few releases, so I feel like there's connection there. But yeah, it's been too long uh, since we've talked. Was any of that stuff out when we did that run together? I'm starting like time is like a very uh, subjective thing these days. It seems like. Yeah, no, uh, uh, you had done. Um, uh, it was your 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 Metal Blade record. I don't oh, think yeah. you'd signed to to season um, at that point. Like I remember, uh, we were doing. Um, we were both guesting on Randy's record yes and you were in talks with season of mist at that point um yeah. okay yeah. yeah when i when i met you guys i was like oh it's, they're on a cool label man season of mist you know maybe someday I, like we could be on season of mist that's not legitimately how i felt honestly man <laughs> I, you know seriously i i'm completely honest about that and uh, uh so yeah, yeah, it's cool. They have a you know, it's a it's great totally. roster, cool people, you know, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Working on that cable record was a lot of fun, though, man. Dude, yeah, that was. I, uh, um, yeah, man, I love Randy. I love like, uh, and and I love seeing Randy be creative. You know, so that was cool, and that was a that was a cool studio. Like I remember, you know. This is very like a very unsuspecting house, and then it's just like analog uh, wonderland in the basement. Um, so that was kind of badass. I used to be roommates with that dude, Alex Garcia. Oh no, shit, really? Yeah, back when you know I lived. I don't know if you even knew this, but I lived in Boston for like five or six years. Yeah, I knew that that you had had a stint there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when during that period of time, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you know, that was like a way more freewheeling version of my life. Uh, I kind of ended up places a lot of times, you know, I was trying to live this uh, renegade, uh, roguish kind of lifestyle back then. As one does, yeah. You know, I was in my 20s, whatever. And uh, yeah, so I ended up living in, with, in this house with Alex and a bunch of other, uh, you know, disreputable people. And uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex is a, not only is a great recordist, he's also an incredible drummer. I don't know if you knew that about him either. 
I kind of I kind of gather that, and it also seems like recording drums like is this forte. Like maybe I'm making this up, but I feel like I saw somewhere that like he's done kind of like a lot of the the uh, like drum. You know, he's got the drum sounds, or he's engineered the drums for like a bunch of stuff for like Kurt Blue. Like at God City, like I, I maybe think that he's right. like his drum tech. Yes, I yeah, think that he's done a lot of that that kind of work. And um, Alex has played in like tons of bands. Like he was in Shelter for a long time. He was in mm-hmm. uh, Better Than a Thousand. He played in Piebald. Uh, he and I played in a um, version of uh, an infamous uh, Boston hardcore band for a while. I was just involved in the tail end of that band. And uh, that's how any, you know, we became really good friends at, during that period of time we lived together. And, um, yeah. you know, he's gone on to do great stuff, man. He was in um, uh, Cold Cave. He does stuff with, with that dude. He's in uh, that dude's band uh, from Cold Cave, uh, American uh, Nightmare, I believe is what they're called. Totally, yeah. Yeah, so he's done a bunch of stuff. And, you know, he's... For a while, he was like always on tour. Like he was, I'm sure that's only the tip of the iceberg of the stuff that he's worked on that I'm mentioning, where he's, you know, doing sessions and all kinds of stuff. You know. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I really liked him. I was, I think my my only interaction with him. Um, but he's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, have you guys been working on any new material? Uh, it seems like. There's been like uh, a bit of time between the last album. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we have like pretty much a, a new one written and demoed, um, and uh, you know I think we got this like um, Dylan, John, and I got this gig like in twenty in late twenty twenty one. Uh, that kind of brought us all the way through 2022 where we were touring as like a, as like a backing band for, uh, you know, this, this, uh, uh, rock pop musician. Well, can you, so, can you be more specific about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Her name's, uh, her name's Sasami Ashworth. Okay. Um, and so we were like her, we, we met her in LA, like, right before COVID, like in, in February of 2020. And, um, uh, and we were touring out there. And so I, she came to a show and then she like hit us up to do like some session work for her on the East coast when she was visiting, um, for her new record. And then we became her live band for, uh, for like yeah like maybe a year and a half and we were just on the road for like five months um and uh so so our stuff kind of put was you know put on on hold a little just just because like you know logistically it was you know tough to like demo or record or whatever um or, so or even write i imagine if you're always like working on yeah other people's stuff at the time you know yeah, I mean, I kind of, I the last few years I've kind of like moved into this pretty solitary mode of writing where I just like everything's demoed on computers and I program drums and like you know can really uh, 
you know, move pieces around and chop things up. And it, it's, it's just a lot more like tedious, but there is this added element of control over like the traditional, you know, four guys in a, in a band room trying to like, uh, you know, pull stuff out of the air. Um, so, you know, I'd kind of con myself into thinking that I was being productive with that stuff. Cause I'd, you know, like dick around with drum parts or, you know, forms of songs and stuff. Uh, but in actuality, it's like, we, we really just kind of got back into the swing of things within the last six months and started like learning all these songs. And, uh, you know, we performed, we did a, a, a little, little tour with come to grief, um, a few months ago and played a couple new songs for that. Um, and yeah, and so we're, we're in the process of just kind of getting things ready for pre-production and, you know, ironing out things, uh, you know, in a live capacity and kind of figuring out how human actually would sound playing the instruments and how to make it sound good and stuff. So that's kind of where we're at now. And, you know, uh, it, but I, I feel good, you know, I think we're all kind of, uh, rejuvenated and, um, uh, ready to play stuff. You know, all the, the songs are fucking long. So that's, I don't know. It, it, it's it's definitely going to be uh, the opposite of like the TikTok friendly uh, song format that everyone's loving these days. So that's nah, probably not a good nah, thing. fuck that man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at, and um, we got a new bassist. Uh, so he's kind of been, uh, you know, falling into the the swing of things and. That's that's been really cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just that had a little practice with Dylan tonight. The pro the uh, process that you just described about um, <clears throat> you know writing everything kind of solitary and mm -hmm. programming drums that that's a process that a lot of people I feel like are exploiting these days. I mean, just with technology being what it is. And um, so, I mean, do you find that you know you write the song? And, you know, you're you're into this thing that you got, but when you bring it down to the space to, you know, work it out with everyone else, just think, do things change uh, drastically? Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, they definitely... I kind of find myself being a stickler about, like, you know, I'll be like, no, like, this this drum part kind of has to be like this or else, you know, uh, you know, the, the, this riff won't work and it's in the context of the song. And then <clears throat> I, I think Dylan's really, really good at like, uh, making me feel like, uh, I'm in charge. And then, but he really will add these like, uh, kind of once we're all comfortable and in the swing of things it's like he'll experiment and uh you know when there's like the confidence there that we're all sharing it's like he he changes things a lot and it's and it's usually for the better um and it's you know obviously 
not being a drummer, it's stuff that like I would never think to program or whatever. And it's, it's, he's, he's pretty inventive. So it changes in that respect. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then like, you know, I'll usually do like scratch vocals and those will kind of change in, um, in real life, just typically because like, it's hard for me to, you know, sync up guitar playing with, uh, some of the stuff that I, I, you know, demo. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a process that like, I think I kind of poo pooed for a while thinking, you know, it, it wasn't romantic or whatever, just the idea of like, you know, sitting there and, um, uh, trying to make something by yourself, you know, rather than doing the, the traditional, like get in a room with other human beings. But I don't know. I, I'm really kind of coming to realize that like just editing in like any form of, you know, uh, artistic expression. is just like such a, such a monumental part of the puzzle, you know, like sometimes it, you know, I just, uh, I'll watch these like art restoration videos and, you know, you just kind of see how many like layers of, you know, varnish and how many like things have been touched up over and over again on these like, you know, kind of Renaissance portraits that are amazing. And I'm like, Oh, it's like, you know, the artist is just editing nonstop until like, you know, they figure out how to pull the brush away from the canvas. And so that's kind of been that's kind of been a cool thing to realize. I I think I just work well in like the editing context, you know. Yeah, that that that's interesting that you um you mentioned that because uh before we started uh you know recording, <clears throat> I was telling you about, you know, this one particular track that I've literally been working on for like 2 years. And uh we have a demo of this song and literally like about 5 hours ago I was listening to it and I was flipping through my notebook and I found a line, a lyric, and I just like rewrote like this section of the song based on like just some random like four words that I found in my notebook that were like fit better. And the lyrics had been written like for like three months at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So like you're always like revisiting things and going back and touching things up like you were saying you know yeah that's was it like was it like the lyrics just like aesthetically helped the thing along or was it like a like a situation where it was like rhythmically having the having the new lyrics kind of prompted the new direction it was an aesthetic thing uh because yeah. you know we're I was also telling you that, you know, we we had plans to do something with this track, so I'd sent it to some people that we we're gonna collaborate with. And um you know, I was like listening to the song again and there was like one line that I'm like, I could let this pass, you know? But I it just stuck out a little bit. It was like that one rough spot in the lyrics yeah. that I needed to sand it down somehow, you know? Yeah. And um and then you know the song finished and i just i was i was gonna write some more notes in my book of something unrelated and then i looked at this thing that i drew in there this like symbol that 
you know, I doodle in this notebook too. And above the symbol were these three, there was four words, like a phrase that I wrote. And then that, I'm like, huh. And I kind of counted the syllables out. I was like, oh, wait, actually, this kind of works rhythmically as well as aesthetically. And it was like totally, that line was written like detached from the context of the song. But that became thematically it fit you know what i mean it was so interesting yeah. how that kind of shit happens yeah it's really cool it's like i don't know it's it's funny like how you know music and and i don't know creative stuff it's like it's like there are no rules but we still like kind of try to you know uh constrain ourselves yeah. and then like and then you hear something really good and or, and it like Usually it's really good because there's this element of like, oh, I've never heard that before. I've never seen that before. You know, that's like that's approaching something new. And then like and it's and it's new and exciting because it's kind of shirking the rules, you know, like a little bit. And so it's kind of like sometimes like if I'm stuck on a song, I'll be like, you know, I'll be like, oh, well you know, the chorus has to come after, you know, the verse or whatever. And then, you know, the bridge has to come after the second chorus. It's like, these are the rules. And then you like, you know, listen to some band, you know, that, that has like a completely alien song format. And you're like, Oh, like I don't have to fucking, you know, follow any set of direction, like, or any set of blueprints to, to make it. And that's kind of, I don't know there's a there's a liberating factor there. Yeah, and also just always being in the process too, I think is important because um you know, a lot of bands are like, "All right, we're going to write an album in these two. We set aside this time to write a record." You know? What I mean? Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I could never ever work like that and come up yeah. with anything that makes any like get, get any satisfaction out of out of it i mean i i mean i could sure i could be like all right over, over the weekend i want to write a record i mean i could do it but i don't think that the strength of that material would really hold up to me at least you know yeah it's it's so wild how bands do that i don't know it, it's funny like i was talking to someone and they referenced led zeppelin they're like yeah led zeppelin you know did presents in three weeks or whatever and it's like you know which I, is true like they recorded that record like super quick but it's also like i don't know like that band was like there's so many fucking demos of like all these songs that you know get kind of rehashed and recut up yeah from zeppelin and it's like i'm like dude it was it's 1975 it's not like you know they have instagram or youtube <laughs> or whatever it's just like they're always fine. They're demoing like a hundred times more than like we are just cause they're, they're, you know, that's all they're doing when they're not like flying around on their seven forty seven or whatever. And it's like, yeah, of course they're going to write shit quickly. You know, it's like, that's what they got going on for them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I know what you mean, man. The, yeah. the like getting, into the writing mode and like churning something out overnight just seems like a kind of a nightmare. And some people are really successful at it. And I, you know, I definitely tip my hat to them, but it's just, I couldn't really work that way, you know? Yeah, you know? dude, I, I hear you. 
Yeah, it's it's funny. I always think about um, there was that show, True Detective, like the first uh, season of that show, where um, Matthew McConaughey's character was talking about his notebook, and he's like, you know, I've always taken a lot of notes. You know, you never know like when you're going to write something, and then like two months is going to you know break the case. You know, with this thing yeah, yeah. That you wrote like three months ago, and I'm like. Like, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. I remember watching that when that came out, like, years ago. And I was like, oh, I'm going to start keeping a notebook. And that's exactly what I did, man. I just, I have, like, the composition, you know, those little composition notebooks. And I just started filling them up with, like, anything and everything. Like, that's ideas. awesome. And that's how, that's how the lyrics come, man. And it's, sometimes it's like what I just described. Like, it's not... It's like completely out of context, but it fits with something that happens, you know, like later on, you know. Totally, yeah, yeah. That's badass, dude. That was such a good show. That first season. It's all about yeah. the first season, man, for sure. It's all about the. It's all about the first season. I don't know. I think they gotta. I think they gotta bring the first season back. <laughs> Imagine if they redid it. They they went back and they had McConaughey and uh, uh, what's his name there uh, come back. Woody. Woody, yeah, Woody Harrelson. Yeah, or they just recast <laughs> someone as you know, like they. I feel like the majesty of that show was you're just kind of like, oh, Matthew McConaughey. Like, you know, I have nothing against Matthew McConaughey, but like, I didn't think he was going to deliver a performance of a lifetime anytime soon, and he really, he really uh, sent that ball sailing into the outfield. You know, it's pretty sick. Actually. Um, there's a, uh, it's funny, anyone who's listening to this who's on the Patreon is going to recognize this because I did a whole episode on it. There's a movie called Frailty that features Matthew McConaughey. Have you heard of that movie? No. Man, it's worth trying to find. It um, came out in like 2001, and it's his role in that film is a sort of demonstrates a lot of the uh, skills that I've feel like he employed later on as uh russ cole yeah that's sick yeah yeah it's called frailty definitely try to check that out if you can okay i'm a i'm a matthew mcconaughey believer now oh hell yeah man i i I, i've to some extent i always have been to be honest i even liked him in comedies and the weird rom-coms that he did oh yeah yeah so failure to launch back back to the the rock band experience as a as yeah. a backup group like like uh how like that was like a full-time gig for you then for a few years right or a couple uh, of years yeah it, it, it was like we um let's see i'm trying to remember the timeline i think we like we recorded this song for her record in maybe the early maybe in like the spring of 2020 or something like maybe in like March or April. And then we ended up hitting the road with her in October. Uh, and we did like just a quick little, maybe even like less than a month tour opening for this band called Japanese breakfast who like, uh, got nominated for a couple Grammys and stuff. And then, after and then in 2022 we were just like touring from 
I think like February till July or something like that. Okay. Like it was, it was kind of ridiculous. Like it was, we did like a, like a long U S tour. It was like, it's like pushing two months. And then we did a European tour directly after that. Like we had like a day off or something. And then we came back after the European tour and then did another full U S tour, uh, opening for, uh, Heim, that band. I don't know if you know that band. They, they I, were I in don't the... know who any of these guys are actually. <laughs> yeah, it was it was funny. You know, have you seen? There's a movie called uh, Licorice Pizza. I've only heard of it. I've, I haven't okay. actually seen it. Yeah. The 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 star of that that show was one of the Heim sisters who we were opening for. It's like it's funny. It's funny like having a you know coming from the world of heavy metal like you know heavy metal and then uh seeing that stuff and just never having expected to see that stuff you know it's just a little eye-opening that's it's interesting though man and that i mean this is all like major label shit right dude it was all major label it was like it was kind of like playing um like the game rock band you know like the video game like where you're yeah. just kind of like like you're uh you're playing in a bar and getting like beer bottles thrown at you or whatever and then like and then just somehow for no reason you're like playing in a stadium you know and you're like this is not how things work but it's like that's kind of how things were worked like you know it's like uh we did uh you know we did the the first US headline tour and that was like maybe like 200 cap to like 1200 cap rooms and then went to Europe. And those are all like, you know, 2000 to 5,000 cap rooms opening for someone else opening for this other artist. And then like we came back and doing the Heim tour, that was all like state, like, you know, literal arenas and stadiums. Yeah, it was, it was, interesting man it just is like uh it's kind of like being a fly on the wall of that that world you know that's all good experience though man for sure yeah you know it's just like uh it's funny like touring with like a band that has like a big crew and shit and like you know uh trying not to make yourself look like a complete asshole by like tripping over you know lights and stuff like that it it was it was hard for us, but we we managed to to not look like complete assholes. So that was that was nice. Hell yeah, that's awesome, dude. Are are you gonna be doing more stuff with her? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think I I think there's the the potential too. I think I mean, we were like we have like some uh, uh flyout dates or or maybe maybe one flyout date left. I think. I think she's in writing mode um, and we're in writing mode. So yeah, we'll kind of, we'll see what, see what happens. Now, does she, uh, I don't know anything about the music. I mean, is she writing all of her own material and like, how's, how's that? Yeah, totally. She's, she's like a a super, super talented um, musician. She like is a, uh, kind of trained originally as a classical musician 
Right. Um, I think she went to Eastman for French horn. And, uh, you know, so I, I think they're like, you know, studied composition and stuff too. Um, and she's, yeah, she's got a pretty, pretty ridiculous ear. Um, and yeah, her, so, I mean, her stuff, like, you know, she does all her own like orchestrations and stuff like that and writes everything. Um, yeah, so, so that's kind of cool. Like playing that stuff and then, you know, sometimes having to like boil down a string part and try to like play it on guitar or whatever, you know, like, um, figure out like little orchestral movements, which I think I did on one song. Uh, and, uh, but, but yeah, yeah, she's, no, she's very talented and, and a good songwriter. And like her, her, this album was, you know, uh, she was like getting into metal. And so it kind of had, uh, it had more of a metallic edge to it. Um, you know, along with like the kind of indie rock stuff, uh, I think she's known for. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of a, a cool mishmash of styles. That's ah, um, very, very interesting, man. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was a good learning experience, you know? You guys had a, a lineup change, right? I have a new bass player on board. We got a new bass player on board. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, uh, yeah, John, I think, um, uh, it was like a little, a little burned out, um, and is looking to like kind of develop his uh, professional life a little more, which you know is probably a pretty good idea. So there's no uh, <laughs> no animosity towards him or whatever. Um, but yeah, this uh, this dude played in a band um, from Burlington, Vermont that we'd played with a few times called Teeth Catcher. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's cool. I don't know. We've like, we've just done the one, um, little run of shows with him, but it was like, I don't know. It was pretty fine. It, it was like, it was cool to have, you know, a little like new energy injected into the band. And he's a, he's a really good bassist and, um, and he's into a lot of music that like, I'm not really into or knowledgeable about. So it's like, that's kind of that's it's cool for me to like uh i don't know have someone who's really like into music that i have i have absolutely no uh no toe in that water you know like what kind of stuff is he into that, that uh... i mean uh he's like into i mean he, he's definitely a metalist his his uh uh I think I think you know there's there's some common ground with like bands like Mastodon and Opeth and stuff, but he also like you know it's funny he's like talking to me. Have you ever heard of that band Umphreys McGee? Uh, negative, haven't heard that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like a jam band like that he's really into. Oh, but, he's like, from Burlington, all... man. Burlington's he's from like, Burlington. Yeah, there you go. Now it makes that but... makes sense to me. But no, he's like, no, dude, it's like they got, you know, they got proggy metal sections. And then yeah, he played me something. I was like, oh, he's like, not lying. This band, like, 
kind of can rip, you know, which is like, I'm very, uh, I'm very jam skeptical, but, uh, you know, at least with Umphreys McGee, I was, I was kind of impressed and, you know, yeah, he, I don't know. He listens to stuff in that ilk. Um, so that's cool. And I, and he's also like, I think into, um, he's into like black metal a little more than I am, you know, not that I have anything against black metal, but I'm just like, not, uh, not a black metal authority, you know? Right. Wow. What a, what an eclectic guy, man. He's an eclectic guy. Yeah. And he's like a, he's a master beer brewer. Um, so he's like, uh, he's, uh, wanted at all these breweries in vermont you know where there's it seems like there's kind of a like a beer brew scene in vermont that's real hot and so they're all clambering to get him to toil there well i was gonna say that um that also seems like a very burlington vermont thing to be a master brewer dude it's so burlington i know and uh yeah it's it's funny like i'm not a beer drinker um so I mean, like, I drink alcohol. I just never got a taste for beer. So I think I've had, like, maybe two beers in my adult life. And um, so I'm, yeah, I'm I'm not a, I, I always kind of find beer talk a little funny, you know? But, like, I went into a brewery with them, and they were, like, off. They were trying to get them to work there, you know? <laughs> Like That's awesome. In- instantly, but it was just so funny the stuff they were saying. They were like, "You, you designed the Christmas Day Ale," and he's like, "Yeah, I did." And they're like, "Oh my God, that's just it's I got the best top note of the year." And you're like, "Jesus Christ!" Like I can't believe. Yeah, I, I just love this beer talk. You know, I forgot who I was talking to recent recently, and I was just telling we we were talking about how people ruin cool stuff all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they'll find some angle where it's like either food or beer or music or, you know, anything. And they'll just be like over intellectualize it, you know, and it becomes like this very insider, like snobby kind of thing. And it's always kind of a bummer when that happens. Yeah. It's pretty wild. I don't know. It is funny. Like I found myself, uh, I was not much of a coffee drinker before COVID. And then like during lockdown, I was like, dude, I'm going to like, I'm going to learn how to make espresso. And oh, now like, man, I, talk, yeah. dude, I talk about espresso with people and I, like I want to kick my own ass. Like I just can't stand the words that I'm saying, but I still say them, you know, I'm just like, I love talking about it, but I'm like, yeah, I know that I'm actively ruining <laughs> this thing you know like i know that i'm a i'm a real asshole for for talking about this but what are you gonna do yeah I, mean, I, I as you know i i probably i um i'm a huge coffee fan yeah totally of course the yeah. savage gold uh <laughs> coffee line man yeah that's the late great savage gold you know i never got to i never got to try it yeah well you, you just said you weren't really that into coffee until like a year ago so yeah it it, it was a i'm a late bloomer yeah when it comes to coffee at one point you guys had just a vocalist yeah yeah we uh, i'm trying to think of when that was we like yeah we had a vocalist and i think we parted ways maybe in like 20 
2017 or something because he was on our he was on our first record yeah yeah we did um and then like we you know had some other people kind of try to fill in uh uh live and stuff and you know it's just hard to convince someone to flush their life down the toilet to be in a heavy metal band (laughs) um and uh so you know that's when i took up the reins and said listen as someone who's already flushed his life down the toilet what's there to lose um so i think maybe i like i started singing on that tour we did together i think that was the first time i'd done it um so maybe that was like a year after sasha left um do you like singing because i guess this is the things i I knew that the band started with just a dude on vocals yeah so the transition for you just to playing playing guitar and then did you have to like how did you how was it the the transitional period of singing and playing and and now writing lyrics and all that stuff like how was that for you yeah i i don't know it was it was fine. Like, I mean, I, I don't really mind the singing. I just hate talking, you know, and like oh, doing yeah. the, yeah. doing the shtick. Um, <laughs> I hate the banter. So I'm, I'm like, I'm like I've just kind of given up doing banter, and I, I just like say whatever the fuck I want to say, and it works out better, which is you know the irony when you stop caring and pretending to be cool, you can you can say some truly shocking stuff that people like. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think doing the guitar and, uh, singing live, it's, it's kind of, uh, it helps me lock in the guitar parts a little bit more. I think, um, just rhythmically, like I, I, I'm kind of like thinking more about, things landing on top of one another than I was before. Um, but, uh, but my throat hurts afterwards. So I don't like that. Yeah. My playing has gone downhill actually. <laughs> it's like, like my actual technical ability, I feel like has suffered as a result of singing and playing at the same time. No shit. Really? Yeah. <laughs> huh. <laughs> I feel like I'm worse now than I was like 10 years ago. <laughs> that's funny I, yeah. i'm being honest i'm i mean i one of the things i'm trying to do now is just to you know fucking improve improve that you know practicing more and stuff yeah me too man um yeah it's all about practicing uh but yeah no, it, was, it's, it was a cool it was a cool little transition for me how long when did you guys start playing when did we start playing? Yeah. Um, well, we went to high school together. Like, like Dylan and I. Yeah. Dylan and I met when we were like, like maybe I was like ten and he was twelve or something like that. So we we've, we've kind of been playing in one form or another for, you know, probably like twenty years. Um, I, su- I suspected this was a, a story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which which is a little wild to. Uh, put a number to, but yeah. I, and then we like, I graduated high school in 2011. Uh, and we were playing, we were playing in a band in 2011. That was like, it, it wasn't, uh, 
full-fledged heavy metal at that point, but I think it was it was on its way. And then I think Barishi really kind of got rolling maybe 2013 or something like that. That's like when we were recording, uh, you know, like our, our first EP and, you know, starting to write more. Right. Uh, it was like 2013, 2014. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say that's a pretty accurate timeline. And was it like a four piece at that point or, uh, yeah, when we like first started playing, it was, we were instrumental oh. initially, like out of high school it was like, it was John, the you know, former bassist Dylan and myself. And then we added, uh, Sasha, the vocalist for a few years there. Um, and yeah, so he made his way onto our first record. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then he split, uh, then we were back to kind of a power trio again, but I was singing and then we added another guitarist. Um, so we've kind of been a four piece, uh, since, since then, which was 2019 was when we added Joe, our other guitarist. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that at one point there was another guitar player. That's, that's, uh, I always just assume, associate you guys as being a three piece. Yeah. It's, you know, we haven't recorded anything with him yet. And we did kind of, you know, all our plans and all the, the big tours that we had for the last record, Old Smoke, just got eaten up by COVID. Yeah. Wow. Obviously. So, so we only, we did like, we did like one half of a U.S tour with him and then we did this come to grief thing with him and so yeah it's it's funny because like he's been in the band for you know years now but it's like we still haven't taken band photos and <laughs> you know done all the things you're supposed to do so that's that's probably coming soon you uh you have the new act new record demoed i think you were telling me right yeah, everything's yeah. like written and demoed, and and it's uh, more or less final state. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Now I've been to your, your outside your house, never inside. Okay. Huh. Okay. Did uh, does that where you guys practice and and record and all that stuff? Yeah, it's pretty sick. The guy who I I wouldn't know how sick it is inside your house because you've never invited me in. So. I, I'm sure I, I'm sure I invited you and you're just such a busy guy. Uh, yeah, it, I don't know. It's sick because it was like built by like a like a truck enthusiast guy. So it's like the entire first floor is just a garage. And, you know, I'm not a truck enthusiast. So I really have like no use for the, the first floor. So it's kind of like a it's kind of like a band practice paradise. Um, so yeah, we got our little nook in there and it's kind of permanently set up. Um, the, the dude had made a, there's just like a, you know, it's a concrete floor, but there's this, there's like a six foot deep pit in the concrete floor that the guy made so he could do oil changes. So uh, I, yeah, it I was going to say it was probably for something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's badass. So I boarded that up and that's where I, that's where I stand and do my guitar and my vocals. Uh, 
So yeah, that's that's our situation. And you uh, do all your demo recording there too? Yeah, we like. I mean, again, like it's not honestly the only thing that I actually like record into the garage band or whatever is my guitar and like the vocals and then i i program bass because i don't actually own a bass and then i program drums so it's all it's all pretty digital but i mean uh i have a couple i have a couple sneaky little hacks that i use to make it sound like kind of realistic so like you know i'm i'm actually able to like listen to the demos and not like just cringe the entire time and you know therefore make them kind of usable as a demo uh but yeah it's just it's a it's a world of programming for me so you uh you you program the drums like with the step sequencer that comes with with garage band do you have like one of those like uh like superior drummer or something like that no i just i just like uh i i mix it all or yeah i do i compose drums on like a piano roll okay on on garage band but then like um i have like a mix within garage band and like a few kind of compressors that i put on the drum kit and like reverbs that i put on the drum kit that it's like it, it kind of takes away the like oh this is you're just listening to like a garage band drummer thing at least, at least for me, which is you know what the demos are essentially for, is just to kind of like, you know, make sure the song structures are are cool and everything. Right. Um, but yeah, so like, I don't know. I I do the. I haven't really fucked with like the. I I forget all the the other drum software like the Easy Drummer or whatever. But like, uh, yeah, that just just using the. Uh, the piano roll for me with the drums has been pretty fruitful. That, yeah, it sounds like real time consuming too, though, man. Yeah, you know, but it's it's like I don't play video games or anything, so it's kind of like I think it, it scratches uh, whatever video game itch, you know, I have. And it's like at least, you know, somewhat productive. So that's kind of cool. Uh, that's cool though, man. And you know, I got to be honest, if that's if you're that proactive with um you know, programming the drums, you know, one of these packages like Easy Drummer probably wouldn't serve you very well, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah it is it's, it's kind of Yeah, I mean, it's um I use it pretty much right out of the can, like the the uh loops, but I'm not trying to be a drummer. Like I'm not trying to I'm just like, okay, I want a blast beat here. I want like the skank beat here. I need like, you know, that kind of scumbag like rock and roll drum thing here. Yeah. And then Ju uh, Justin just takes those as like the themes and then comes up yeah, with yeah, his own stuff. But if you're like really dialing into like dynamics with the drums, I think that you, you would have to go into the MIDI, um, you know, part of it too and move move hits around and stuff like that. So if you're going to mm -hmm. do that, you might as well do what, what you're doing right now. So I think you're probably okay. do, doing exactly what you should be doing. Well, I'm glad to hear that because sometimes it kind of feels like I'm uh, <laughs> I'm probably doing things in a roundabout way, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm always interested to hear how people do this kind of stuff because, I mean, I, I 
my process is very similar when it comes to writing songs. Um, I'm always like interested to hear about that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Me too. It's like, and it, it's funny. I feel like it's just such a, such a big part of what we do. And then, I don't know. People like very rarely talk about it in interviews. You know, they'll be like, they'll be like, what was it like writing your record or whatever? And like, I don't know. I want to hear about the, the weird little things that were the inspirations and like the, the technical elements of like writing, you know, like that's, that's the kind of stuff that I'm interested in. Yeah. I just picked up uh, another step sequencer uh, plugin called the pattern and it's huh. uh by this guy philip spizer and um it's more for uh like other projects i have going on this is more like a straight up like a drum machine you know where yeah the uh the stuff for like easy drummer or superior drummer is if you want it to sound like drums you know yeah but i want to make something I want drum beats that sound just really cold and like mechanical, like eighties st style, like industrial, you know? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't like the easy drummer stuff doesn't really serve that so well, you know? So I got this other sequencer, which is just like an old school, like step sequencer. Oh, that's badass. Yeah. But with killer, nice. it's got killer sounds too. And I'm just starting to figure out how to, how to use it. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I, I look forward to, hearing the fruits of your labor. <laughs> now, uh, the time that I, I was at, I think it was when we uh, rented the van from you guys, when, when I returned the van. Um, yeah. You were telling me a story, and I never was able to follow up on it with you for whatever reason, about like where you're located in um, Vermont, there being some kind of... Uh, vampires or werewolves or like hauntings or something like yeah that. Like, um, so yeah you promised to tell me this man so what uh, you we but you never told me about any of this stuff so what's the story with all that okay so <laughs> yeah so i live in dover vermont and and dover's big attraction is a ski resort called mount snow and it's like it's like the first big resort you get to you know, if you're coming up to Vermont from uh, the city. Uh, and ironically enough, it's not named Mount Snow after snow. It's named Mount Snow after this local family, the Snows. Um, and so, yeah, they're just kind of this, you know, farming family in town who I think owned a portion of the land, you know, that's now the ski area. And like, you know, so my, I come from, uh, you know, my, I live on a farm. Uh, my family's had the farm for, you know, over a hundred years and I think knew the snows pretty well. Uh, and there's a story that the matriarch of the snow family who like maybe died in the sixties or fifties or something was, uh, she was like a child and um, there was this like vampire hysteria in the town because I think, you know, people were getting tuberculosis okay. or something like that. Right. And uh, it's funny. There was there's this like restaurant 
on the main strip of the town. It's kind of derelict called the silo. And it's like maybe the ugliest building you could ever imagine. And right behind that building, I think there's an old graveyard. And, and this, the matriarch of the snow family told this story that, um, there was a town sanctioned exhumation of a recently deceased kid who probably died from TV. Right. Okay. And his heart was cut out and burned in this fucking cemetery. And it was like, it was again, like, you know, late 1800s. And this was like, you know, there was, it was done in some semi-official capacity. And she told this story to, uh, the historical society I've Googled it before and there have been like a few other similar, like, you know, isolated Vermont towns having like, uh, kind of these like vampiric scares due to, you know, people getting TV or whatever. And this one doesn't come up, but I'm, I'm going to stand by it. Um, but she, yeah, she remembers she was across the, the main drag in, uh, in Dover is route 100. And she was across, you know, what's now Route 100 from the graveyard as a girl with, like, maybe a friend. And they, like, watched the town, you know, official or whatever, just grilling up this kid's heart. That's dark, (laughs) man. Dude, it's so brutal, you know? And it's, like, in the grand scheme of things, that's that's pretty fucking recent, you know? I, I know, man. That's the thing. It's like very recent, if you think about it, in the history of, you know, humanity. Yeah, it, it's it's wild. You know, it's funny. And when I was a, uh, my dad reminded me of this other story where it's like, you know, this the farm, you know, where I live. This is like kind of from the maternal side of my family. My paternal line lives in upstate New York or is from upstate New York. And my granddad, uh, like, you know, we'd go and visit my grandparents in upstate and, you know, they lived a stone's throw away from where his old family farm was. And he used to tell me this story about this farmer who was playing this game called Pinochle with his farm. Yeah. I've heard of that game. Yeah. Yeah, and his farmhand was, like, this dude who was fucking massive, like, you know, a massive guy. Maybe he was, like, developmentally disabled. And the the farmer was having a uh, – was kind of goading him because, you know, he was playing this game and losing. And the farmhand killed the farmer. Oh, man. Killed the farmer's wife, burned the house down, right? And and this was just like up the road from like where we'd be visiting. And he'd always tell me the story. It was like just fucking terrifying. Like you know there there was like a trial in the town, like brutal shit. But what was insane, and I didn't know at the time. And like when my granddad died, my dad was like going through. Uh, you know we were we were up in the town. Um, you know, maybe there was like a, a visit to the local library or something, and he or he googled the the guy. But the the this guy who was the farmhand 
went to state prison and then broke up a prison riot in like the 80s or something. Wow. Right? And got let go on on because you know he had displayed good behavior by like breaking up this prison riot. And he fucking moved to the shack that was like right across the street from my grandparents' house. <laughs> so like this entire time, like, you know, he'd be like he'd be telling me the story and it's like seems so distant. And like meanwhile, the fucking guy like lives across the street in like, you know, a shack. It was like pretty gnarly, you know? Yeah, fuck yeah. There's, man. there's some good stuff up here, you know? It's cool up there though, you know. I like it. Yeah, dude, move on up, bro. I'm 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 thinking about that. But then you told me that there's no place to train Muay Thai up there, so Yeah, that's why you start the uh the Mike Hill Dojo. <laughs> I start the uh the Dover Fight Club up there. Yeah, I think um <laughs> I think you'd have a a, a a wide swath of uh clientele. Oh, okay. Well, you know, we'll think about it then. <laughs> yeah, sounds yeah. good. Well, Graham, thanks for uh, for chatting with me this evening. Yeah, my pleasure. What yeah, a treat. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. You guys, uh, you know, when, when you're ready to announce shows and stuff like that, let me know, and I'll, I'll help get the word out. And uh, if you're playing in the tri-state area, Jersey, you know, New York, whatever, Brooklyn, uh, I will be in attendance. You're the man. You're the man. Um, dude, and you know what? Um. Maybe I mentioned, but the Stone Church in Brattleboro is an insane venue, right? It's yeah. like by far the best thing Southern Vermont has going for it. Okay. And always fucking packed. And just aesthetically, it's like the coolest place for metal. Dude, High on Fire just played there. And um, the video is on online if you just check out High on Fire Brattleboro and you can kind of check out the vibe of this place but you guys would kill it there so if you ever want us to you know hook it up for you yeah uh, no, totally make it happen it would be sick yeah we'll, we'll talk offline for a second but uh, when we wrap this up but yeah for okay. sure dude well thanks yeah. for listening everyone and i'll talk to you next week <laughs>